our next guest this morning has uh, worked and spent his life in the public arena, both in the media and in politics. Uh, can you please welcome Stephen O'Doherty? Have a seat. Hello, Tim. Stephen, welcome. Thank you. Uh, for forgive me for that little joke. <laughs> I'll have to work hard at forgiving you, Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, it's just something in the, the, the uh, Australian psyche to not take our leaders very seriously at all. I think it goes back to the rum core. So, yeah, it's, all, it's, an, it's a historical ancient thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, welcome to the Central Coast. Uh, have you had any past experiences of the Central Coast? Oh, one or two, yes. I've got many uh, close friends right here in this very tent, yep, okay. for instance. Um, yep. Yeah, I love the Central Coast. Great place. Okay. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, family, where you're from. Uh, well, I live in Dural in northern Sydney, and uh, I'm married to Georgina. We have two boys, James, who's um, <laughs> he's in year four university, but he's also full-time. Although we think he'll go part-time this year. He's also working full-time. He works at Sky News as a producer. And uh, Daniel is 19. He's in just about to go into second year at university. He's studying chemistry. James is studying media, arts and law. Uh, see, my wife is a scientist. Georgina's a scientist. And I, my background is in journalism. And um, as the kids were growing up, it was going to be, who are they going to be like? <laughs> so James, James went straight into arts law and then very quickly got a job in media, uh, which is what I did. And uh, Daniel went into science, and Georgina was saying, yes, at least I've got one of them. But Daniel studied an education subject last year, and uh, he's just about to do two weeks at the film and television school studying media production. <laughs> and I'm just slowly watching the drip, 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 drip. I'll get him. I'll get him to the dark side eventually. <laughs> oh, dear. It's difficult for a mum sometimes, isn't it, with their boys? Yeah, but uh, she's not here to defend herself, so yeah. that's okay. Um, now, Stephen, you're a person who's worked in the public arena, particularly through media and politics, and, and you're a Christian. And so I thought it'd be um, interesting for us to find out about what your Christian convictions are and how they've impacted uh, your work in the public arena. Um, but before we find out about that, can you give us a little bit of a, a brief idea of the different roles you've had, particularly uh, uh, media and politically, through your career? Well, I started out as a cadet journalist at 2CH in Sydney while I was completing my um, journalism degree. Um, it's exactly what my son James is doing now. Uh, after 2CH for a while, I, I went to 2GB and I worked there for about 10 years. Um, I was a journalist, broadcast journalist, and I hosted a drive time program. Yep. Uh, it was called the Sundown Rundown for most of its um, time. And it was a current affairs program, not like 2GB today, a bit more like Richard Glover. I suppose, in style today, a, a fairly serious current affairs program without, um, without right-wing ratbag opinionary. Um, not, not saying too much. About I, I was wondering if I was talking to a shock jock this no, morning. No, 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 no. Well, we actually started, at 2GB in those days, 1981, uh, we started News Talk Radio for Australia. We were the first commercial station to take on news and current affairs as our, as our full-time format. Um, so we, I guess... In that sense, I helped to pioneer the news talk style. And I've become, over the years, really distressed about where it's gone. It was never about shock, being a shock jock. 
It was all about serious inquiry. So um, I did that for about 10 years. I worked in television at the ABC, 7.30 report. I worked at Channel 10, the Walsh report, um, doing political affairs. And uh, following that, um, I, I went back to 2GB for a little while and then got a real inkling that I should try for a seat in Parliament. Um, I sought pre-selection when a seat became available, Nick Griner's seat of Karingai. I won pre-selection, which was unusual, seeing I wasn't a member of the party at the time. Um, <laughs> I mean, I joined the party and then sought pre-selection three weeks later. Did, did you say, which team do you play for? Uh, I, don't, I might have missed it. Did you say No, that? I didn't say. No. Quite, quite well picked up there, Tim. You've got a great career in shock jockery yourself. <laughs> um, I, you you I may want to keep that under your hat at the moment. No, no, okay. no. These no. days I don't play for any team, as it were, but I, I was a member of the Liberal Party um, and I was pre-selected by the Liberal Party for Karingai. Um, and just a few weeks after that, I was, I was elected in a by-election. That was 1992. I spent nine and a half years in the Parliament. Um, during that time, most of that time, we were in opposition, which wasn't entirely my fault. And um, <laughs> I was a member of the front bench uh, for seven years. I was shadow minister for various portfolios, including shadow minister for education and uh, community services, disability, and I was shadow treasurer when I resigned to take a new job, and that's the job that I have now. So that was 12 years ago. This is the longest time I've ever been in one place. Yep. Um, I've actually got long service leave and don't know what to do with it <laughs> for the first time in my life. Um, and I'm now the CEO of Christian Schools Australia. So that's a peak group that looks after uh, locally-based Christian schools, like Greenpoint, for instance, is a member of our association. So there are about 130 of those schools around Australia, and my job is to look after their interests in policy and uh, in, in advocacy and lots of other different ways. And, and you're still um, actively involved in the media as well? I think you're the chairman of HOPE? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm the, the chairman of the board of HOPE 103.2, which is Sydney's Christian radio station. I've been doing that for about 10 years. That's a voluntary position, but I just love it. Yep. love being involved in media. In some ways, I think, Tim, I've really just... Uh, if you want a secret, um, I've been working now for 30-something years. All that time, all I've ever done is just talk for a living. <laughs> <laughs> is, are you a person with too much energy? It <laughs> seems some people... No. Are, right. <laughs> it depends what time of the day you ask me. Okay. I can't How many sit coffees still. I've actually found this week... Georgina's gone back to work this week and, and I'm at home alone... Um, like Macaulay Culkin, you know, I feel <laughs> they've all left and here I am. And I find it really hard to be by myself. That's a self-revealing idea. I have to find projects to do so that mm. I can, otherwise I fall into this sort of malaise. So, yeah, I have to keep moving on. And a few years ago, Georgina shocked me to my quick. Um, we were in a really, really busy period at my work and I said to her, because my work involves travel now, I travel maybe two, three times a week. Um, interstate. Um, so I said to Georgina, we'll just get through this period. We're just going to get through this period and then everything will be back under control. She looked at me and she said, you're joking. I said, no, 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 really, just, just this period. She said, do you realise how long you've been saying that? Like, no. She said, since before we were married. <laughs> uh, we've been married for 25 years this year. Yeah. Well, you're obviously persuasive in what you say as well. It's, She's it been never, buying her, that it line does, for a long time. It just doesn't fool Georgina. It didn't, it didn't in the start and it doesn't now. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, okay, well, that, that's helpful to get uh, an idea of those different roles that you've had. Um, and, and being a Christian has been a big part of uh, what you've taken to those roles. So, I thought we'd find out how, how you became a Christian. You, be, you, you didn't grow up as a Christian, you became a Christian in adult life and, and then uh, how that's shaped and the impact that's had uh, in, in your work in the public arena. Uh, so, can you tell us um, what were the circumstances of you becoming a Christian? It's a funny phrase, isn't it, becoming a Christian? It's the sort of phrase that used to make me cringe when I, when I wasn't a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, well, I think as, as people have been hearing this week, it's, it's to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on our behalf and that we can only approach God by uh, giving our lives to him in service. So that's what it means and, and I came to that decision as an adult at the age of 26. Um, but I started in my career as a person who was very strongly anti-Christian actually if you think about the typical current left-wing current affairs journalist, um, you can see my life has been through a few swings and roundabouts. But yes, I was a, a typical left-wing current affairs journalist at one stage. Um, the sort of zeitgeist or the worldview that they bring with them, the, the sort of norm that they bring with them, is that religion is uh, an artefact created by mankind for those people who need some sort of crutch to lean on. Alternately, uh, journalists may think, or this particular view of the world might think that um, religion is propagated by the church because it wants to keep um, people under subjection and, uh, and hold power over them, um, that the church itself, whatever that means, um, but a lot of journalists think of that as the Catholic church or the Anglican denomination or whatever it might be, um, that, it, that it's economically powerful, that it's about money and power and like any other institution... Its main role is to propagate itself. Now, these are all ideas that actually come from, I guess, left-wing ideology. And indeed, when I went to university at uh, UTS, um, the, the, uh, the predominant um, philosophy of, of the faculty that I was studying in, communications faculty, was Marxism. So straight out of high school, I'm sitting in a lecture with 300 people at uh, UTS and hearing about ownership of the means of production and saying to the person next to me, what on earth are they talking about? But I actually realised as a young undergraduate um, that you had to adopt this sort of Marxist social analysis in order to get through the course. So it definitely imprinted on me. I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that because studying Marxism, uh, Marxist sociology, politics and then philosophy and so on, I learned that people think in different paradigms, that people actually adopt a different view about the world, a different way of seeing things. We call it worldview, we might call it, as I did earlier, zeitgeist. Um, and these things are informed by what happens around them. So my, my worldview was informed by where I went to university, it was informed by the journalists that were teaching me, training me as I was growing up as a young journalist, um, analysing the world with this left-wing perspective. And part of that worldview was to see the church in a particular way and to see Christians in a particular way um, as people who were anti-intellectual, unintelligent. Um, and I took that right through to my mid-20s uh, until I met Georgina and she, she shook up all of those paradigms because she was a believing Christian. She had been since, uh, you know, since she could think for herself. 
She never questioned the existence of God, um, even though she tested him out a few times. Um, she was, when I met her, studying for her PhD. She later finished, so she's a scientist. She's a biologist. She has a PhD. She was loving, caring, uh, very intelligent, formidable, um, <laughs> and didn't and, and beautiful and didn't um, didn't meet any of the uh, things that I thought Christians would be like. And so, uh, keep telling us then how what was the uh, transition for you in uh, how did your attitude change towards the claims of the Bible, the claims of Jesus, from being sceptical, perhaps cynical, to becoming persuaded that Jesus is the Son of God who died so that we can have a relationship with God? Yes, it was... um, (laughs) I was... The shift started because I was prepared for Georgina to believe that. You, You can believe that. I'm not really sure what's going on in your head, but I'm happy for you to believe those things, but they don't make a claim on me. So that's the separation that you get between... Uh, Bible-believing Christians and the rest of the world. The rest of the world says, you believe what you believe, mate. I'll believe what I believe, mate. Those people over there, they can hold a different view, different religions. We'll all just get on and it's okay because after all... um, And this is where atheists like Christopher Hitchin and others um, would say um, at some level, we can't prove anything, therefore everything must be true. What they're actually saying is... I think that I'm superior to you in knowing that there is no God, but I'm happy for you to believe that there is one. And I'm equally happy for you to believe in astrology, and I'm equally happy for you to believe in the power of crystals, and I'm equally happy for you to believe something else. The atheist says, and this was the place where I think I grew up um, intellectually from my teenage years, the atheist says, I actually know that a lot of you are wrong, but I'm just going to say, because I'm a modern sort of, you know, pluralistic person, oh, you might all be right, but I'm really right, but you might all be right. But in saying that you might all be right, I'm disrespecting the crystal believer as well as the Buddhist as well as the Christian. I'm disrespecting all of you, says the atheist. Um, It's really another way of saying you're all wrong. You're all wrong, that's right. So, you know, and we have a new sort of radical atheism in Australia which is based on this same idea. You might all be right, but what we're really saying is none of you can... You can't all be right, therefore... Most of you, are, you're either one of you is right or none of you are right. I'm actually saying as an atheist, I believe there's nothing, therefore none of you are right. So I'm not respecting any of you. Don't ever believe it if an atheist says, oh, I respect your right to hold your belief. Um, if they respected your right, right, they would ask you on what it's based. And that, in fact, is what happened with Georgina. The, through the power, of, power and magic of love, um, physical and um, mental attraction intellectual attraction, um, I started. I was falling head over heels for Georgina, whose, whose world included a whole different set of things that, I, that didn't belong in my world. She went to church. She went to Bible study. There are members of her Bible study group here today. Lynn and Phil Hayes were part of that Bible study group. They're members of this church. Uh, and um, I remember a long time ago, 30 years ago, as Lynn and Phil were um, studying at CMS just prior to going to Africa as missionaries, both as young doctors with exceptional careers in front of them, to a journalist broadcaster whose life was hooked on um, the appearance of success. You know, needing to be seen to have success was important in my industry in those days. 
To see two young doctors, for instance, training to go to Africa to give everything that they had um, to serve a, a people because they believed in Jesus didn't make a lot of worldly sense. To see Georgina prepared to stand up as a biologist in her field and say, yes, I believe that it was God who set these processes in motion that caused these um, effects to take place so that, you know, different species evolved and so on. But God is in control. For her to say that in her field took courage. And as I found it in, um, in my own field of journalism, as I said to people, oh, I'm going out with this girl, oh, she's a Christian. I mean, my, one of my strongest mentors and the, the um, manager of the radio station where I was working said, don't go out with a Christian girl because Christians are nothing but trouble. <laughs> she'll, she'll lead you astray. Well, she has. <laughs> Uh, another very well-known name who was working at the station at the time, when I started to question my lack of belief, when I started to indicate to people around me that I was interested in things of faith, started asking questions, which after all is what journalists ought to do, right? When I started asking questions, another very well-known name who was working at the radio station at the time turned on me. He'd been a, he'd been a strong supporter. He was the reason that they gave me, a 21-year-old, the chance to do drive time on 2GB. And it's, it's unheard of. It just doesn't happen. Um, this guy turned on me and would come back from lunch absolutely blind every day, um, screaming abuse at me, four-letter words, the most foul language. It's been very ironic to witness that very same person recently speaking out in the press against another alleged case of workplace bullying of a current on-air personality... Uh, who allegedly bullied one of his staff. This person who bullied me has been standing up for this young man who's being bullied. He did exactly the same thing to me. But there was no doubt in my mind, because of the phrases he was using, because of what they were saying, that the fact that I was questioning my lack of belief, the fact that I was starting to, um, well, become a Christian, to use the language, uh, was one of the factors in him turning on me. And when you see how, you know, if something is irrelevant, if the, if the gospel is irrelevant... And yet, you start to identify as a Christian and friends turn on you and people see you in a different way and the whole world starts to look as if it's, you know, made half a turn to the left or right and you can't recognise it anymore. You think, if the gospel means nothing, then why is this happening around me? Why does it change lives? And what happened in the end, Tim, was that... Um, Georgina got to the point where at, at her Bible study group, um, they'd been really unsure about how to advise her about what to do with this Christian. I, I was uh, already separated on my way to a divorce. I'd had um, not, I wasn't living the sort of lifestyle that Christians would, would generally consider was uh, consistent with their beliefs. Um, it wasn't at the bad end of the spectrum, but you know, I was sort of heading that way, I think. Um, and they were, they were hard-pressed to advise Georgina whether to go out with me or not. So one day she rang me up at work and she said, do you know, I've, um, I've been praying through this situation, I've been talking to my friends at Bible study, I just don't know what to do, but um, I just feel that if I keep going out with you and we form a relationship and we get closer and closer, um, I might walk away from my faith because, you know... We're just living in different worlds. And I don't want to walk away from my faith. She said, this doesn't make any sense to me. I feel so weak. But I know that 
uh, I can't actually see you again because I feel that if I see you again, then I'm just going to, you know, walk away from my faith. I know this is weak. I should be stronger, she said. Therefore, I can't see you again. My decision is that we can't ever see each other again, ever. That was a lot of strength, I think. Well, that's what I think, Tim. I think that's one of the strongest things I've ever heard. And you just put down the phone and you say to yourself two things. Firstly, another failed relationship. Secondly, why would you walk away from something that was tangible and a really you know, great relationship now for something that was a construction of your mind that wasn't real? She said, my relationship with Jesus is such that I don't want to lose him by going out with you. And then, of course, you start to justify yourself. But that's okay. I said, you can go to church on Sunday and I'll stay at home and read the newspaper. That sounds ideal. <laughs> Doesn't sound like such a bad idea now, actually. But <laughs> no, no. Um, she said, no, no, you don't get it. Everything about me, my whole world revolves around this fact that my faith is real to me. It, it, it impacts on what I do. You know, witness Lynn and Phil Hayes, for instance, turning their whole lives upside down to go and be missionary doctors in Africa. Um, that's what Christians want to do. They want to give their life to the service of Jesus. Um, and if you don't share that, then we can't share the most important thing. Um, so, as she said, as strange as this sounds, I just think we can't see each other again. I, I, I later found out what that meant, Tim, um, because and I'm happy to go back and tell you how and why I became a Christian, but just by way of um, kind of validation of what she was saying... Each one of our children has suffered very serious, potentially fatal conditions um, in the last 21 years. Daniel, when he was born, had meningitis just two days later. And um, as a two-day-old child, you know, it was touch and go whether he'd pull through um, or whether he'd uh, pull through and, and suffer ongoing permanent disability. Now, he pulled through miraculously. Um, but it wasn't the fact that I feel that that was a miracle that justifies what she was saying. Our second child, James, was hit by a car when he was riding a bike. Very serious accident, fractured um, neck amongst many other injuries, broken jaw on both sides, all, you know, serious brain damage, sorry, serious head damage. Uh, he pulled through. A few months later, he had a stroke because of the damage sustained in the accident. Once again, he was at death's door. With the doctor saying... You, um, you realise that even investigating what turned out to be a massive aneurysm on his carotid artery, even by investigating that, we run the risk of um, shooting blood up into your brain and causing uh, a massive stroke from which you won't recover. Now, so this, is, this has been our experience of parenthood. There's been the bad, there have been lots of good bits. Those have been the difficult times. But in, in all of those occasions, Georgina and I never once have had to turn to friends and say, why does God let this happen? Mm. You know, we, we, we're past that. We understand who God is. We understand his call on our lives. And our response has always been, dear friends, can you help us pray for our children because right now we need and covet your prayers so that our children will be well. And, it's, and God has, um, I think, performed miracles. Now, if those events had happened in our lives and one of us had been a Christian and the other not a Christian. How would I have been able to cope? I would have been, you know, quite likely turning to my wife and saying, why does your God let this happen? Mm. So I think 25 years later, uh, what Georgina said, that to live our lives fully together, 
would require us both to share the same worldview, the same faith. I think that was perfectly true mm. uh, in, and has been validated in my experience. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, Stephen, the, uh, clearly sharing worldviews together, uh, well, as Georgina said you then, it, it shapes not just Sundays, it shapes your whole experience and approach to life. Um, it would be good to get some insight into how that's shaped your approach to your, your public work, um, in radio and in politics. I guess you've, you've alluded to some of the tension, some of the conflict, some of the clashing that happened, even as you were just starting to investigate Christianity, indicate some spark of interest in it, the sort of issues that that created uh, in your work in at 2GB. Uh, how, how did that... Uh, was there an ongoing impact from that? How did that... Uh, you'd, you'd started your work there in, you know, I guess a secular left-wing... Um, uh, worldview. Um, not not something you can say about 2GB today. Okay. Um, and uh, and your views had, had changed around the time of your mid-20s, I think 26, you said. Uh, what was the impact of that in your work there? Yeah, I, I mean, the moment for me was really the settlement of this um, can't-go-out-with-you-anymore business was that Georgina's pastor, uh, minister at her church, Silas Horton, said, oh, bring him in for a chat, you know. <laughs> so Silas, um, turned out Silas was a, was a devoted listener to the Sundown Rundown and just wanted to sit me in the chair and ask me, you know, ask me all those questions. Why are you an atheist? Because there's no God. How do you know there's no God? Well, you can't prove there is a God. Yes, but you can't prove there isn't a God. No, well, that's, that's true, I suppose. But if I could prove to you there was a God, would you still be an atheist? No, of course not. That'd be stupid. Well, then you're an agnostic, he said. <laughs> he was fantastic. He should have been on the radio. <laughs> he passed away about two years ago. Uh, just a lovely, lovely guy, Silas Horton. Um, so I started going to church and every sermon um, spoke to me about something real in my life. It was just, you know, almost spooky. Uh, because, as it turns out, and this might surprise you, Tim, it might not surprise you, it might surprise some of you, it turns out, actually, the, the Christian gospel, the good news about Jesus, is highly relevant to life both then and now. And, as it turns out, it's been part of God's plan since the very beginning uh, when he made us, when God made us to have a relationship with him. Uh, Christ was a way of putting that relationship back together. And as I heard that message constantly, faithfully preached from the Bible, um, I just realised how relevant that message was to my life. So, for instance, we're reading through um, the Sermon on the Mount, and it says, don't put your faith in things that rust and moths destroy. And instantly what came to, to mind was my RX-7, you know, my, my flashy car that went with my flashy job. Now, that, that car had been, um, it was in many accidents, only one of which was my fault. Um, and every time the car was bent and damaged, I felt like a part of me was dying. Now, I don't know if you've ever put that much investment into a, into a physical thing, but um, some people around you might. And when I read in the Bible, Jesus' own words, don't put your faith in things that rust, I'm thinking, oh, that's what I've done. I've made this car a proxy for my own self-esteem, my sense of self-worth. But Jesus was saying, no, no, your self-worth comes from this. You're made in God's image, for goodness sake. He loves you. I'm going to die for you. 
God wants to have a relationship with you. And, you know, that really spoke to me in a very real way, that it wasn't just about the RX-7. Later I was able to give that car up without um, going through grief and shock. <laughs> and at the age of 54, I wouldn't mind getting an RX-8, actually. Have you seen the... <laughs> Uh, but I'm over that now. Um, <laughs> our, our son's just bought an Alfa Romeo. <laughs> oh, he's so much like me. Um, <clears throat> Stephen, I'm I'm hearing if I can into I'm hearing that um, that there it, it was really a a uh, the global appeal of the the Christian mm. message, the Christian gospel. Yep. It, it wasn't just an intellectual this worldview superior. You could see that in the lives of not just Georgina but other Christian people that you'd met, that this yeah. was both substantial, appealing uh, and, uh, and, and intellectually credible and all of those things together yeah. uh, were persuasive. Yeah, I had the, uh, three things got through to me. The love of a faithful woman. Second, faithful to God, that is, and to me. Um, secondly... Uh, being able to analyse the evidence as a journalist for myself. Georgina gave me a Bible and I read through the New Testament and much truth started. It spoke to me in the way that good, good literature does when it you know, react, interacts with where you're at as a human being. So it spoke to me. And thirdly, uh, when I went to church, they gave me a book with the dots in it so I could read the music, um, which was very important because I felt really stupid standing there being the only one who didn't know the hymns. So... They found a, a hymn book that had music in it so I could read the music and not feel silly. And then, and then I felt comfortable being in church. So that's proxy for being accepted by a community of believers. Um, Georgina's friends, the Hazers uh, and others in that same Bible study group took me in uh, and started loving me. And I hadn't been loved before by a community, let alone by an individual, in the way that I was loved by this group of mm. people. Um, so if that's your experience, let me encourage you to think about those things for yourself. Uh, start reading and listening to people about what the Bible's on about, who Jesus is, what he did. Think about the history. Read some of the books by John Dixon, for instance, about the real historical facts about, about Jesus. With the Hazes, we've just um, last year went to, the, to Israel uh, with John Dixon to, to look at some of this stuff for ourselves. Um, and then find a community that you want to belong to. Come to church. Come to this church. It's a very welcoming and loving place. And let people love you. That's, by the way, really hard to stand there and, you know, are you new? Yes, now I know you're going to invite me to lunch. Would you like to come to our place for lunch? <laughs> or you say, no, we're just visiting from down, the, down in Sydney. Uh, we're, no, we're going to McDonald's for lunch. Um, when you actually let people love you, uh, remarkable things happen. And that's what occurred for me. I felt like everybody in the church was judging me. You're that Christian left-wing atheist who persecutes Christian politicians, which I did. Um, no, it was, hi, you're Stephen. Tell us about yourself, you know. Um, what, what's, what are you interested in? Um, and the fact that they weren't judging me, but they were just loving me, was overwhelming. I one day was sitting there and during the communion service was prepared to, to go forward um, because the communion service said, I think taking from the words of Corinthians, um, if you would step forward and, and take part in this communion service, signalling you know, that you want to belong to the body of Christ, you need to be prepared to leave your old life behind. 
And I remember praying, I can't fight you anymore. Uh, and so I went forward and took communion. And um, for someone who was already a public figure, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, but I had um, the highest rating drive time talk program in Sydney. And everybody in that um, community knew who I was. It was an act of showing that I was prepared to change. Um, but it was a remarkable act. You know that scene in The Mission where is it Jeremy Irons struggles to the top of the cliff and then lets all of the baggage fall to the ground? That's how I felt. I had to leave my RX-7 on the, on the bench. I had to leave my brilliant career on the bench. I had to leave my image on the bench. And I remember after that saying to Silas, well, what shall I do now? You know, I've become a Christian. Surely I can't be one of those rotten journalists, you know, on the radio anymore because that's a terrible, sinful industry. He said, well, is it? Is it really? Are all journalists, you know, enemies of God? Do they have to be? What did God call you as? What do you, what do you mean, call me? Well, what were you when, when you accepted the truth about Jesus? Well, I was, I was a journalist. I was a broadcaster. Well, can't you be a journalist and a broadcaster and still believe in Jesus? And it was wise advice. Every role I've had since then, I've heeded Silas's words. Why can't I be a politician and believe in Jesus? Who said you're not allowed to? Why can't I be an administrator? Why can't I be in the media? Why can't I do these things? Why can't I be a member of this community organisation? I belong to a band. Why can't you be a conductor of a band and believe in Jesus? Um, Stephen, we've got uh, time for a couple of questions from the audience. Uh, if anybody's interested in asking a question of Stephen, please, um, please put up your hand and a microphone will come to you. But, but just before that, I, I suppose I'd, I'd like to finish by asking you... Um, we, you've sort of alluded to this earlier on. We live at a time where uh, it's fine to have your own personal beliefs so long as you keep them to yourself. Uh, whereas you have strong convictions that the Christian message and values is relevant and it's, and it's relevant to the general community. Um, uh, I, what, why? What, why is the Christian gospel relevant to the general community? Why not keep your beliefs to yourself, uh, why do you make the efforts to make them more known in the, in the general community, in the media, in the public discussion? Yes, firstly, I, I think I'd want to say, Tim, that I don't want to judge people. That's not my job role. Um, it's not my desire to judge people who have different beliefs. But I believe strongly in the truth of my own um, faith and, and I'm prepared to put it out there and tell you why I believe what I believe and to tell you how that impacts on me and also to tell you about how good the kingdom of God is. So Jesus said to the early disciples, look, just go to the towns and villages and I can, I can picture them having been there with the hazers just back in, uh, back in April. He's in the Galilee, this wonderful fertile region. He said to the disciples, just walk along the shore there, go to the towns and villages, about a day's walk apart, and just tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. And people would say, well, what's the kingdom of God about? And Jesus told all these stories. You know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You plant this faith and it, it grows and becomes this mighty tree, but the faith itself is so tiny. Well, the, king, the kingdom of God, he was saying, is a place where we value um, being made in the image of God more than we value the here and now, 
um, the power of the sword, uh, the power of money. The thing we value most is love and what we can do for others. And you'll find that love truly in the love that God has shown for his people by his son dying on the cross. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So at Hope 103.2, for instance, we say we want people who listen to hear that that hope, the hope that there is something out there, there is something greater than us, there is something that made us for a purpose, that hope is not just a hope for the future, I hope it might come to pass, but it's actually a hope that drives your present. In view of the fact that I have a certainty about who I am, what my purpose is, who made me, where I'm going, I am then free to love you in a way that I haven't ever been able to love people before, even those people who persecute me. So in politics, um, for instance, I could love the people who were, you know, my political enemies, as it were. We could, with many of them who were Christians, we could share a relationship that went well beyond party politics and we could share desires for the community, great outcomes in the community that went well beyond what our own particular party platforms were because the kingdom of God is not a party platform just as it's not, you know, power, the power of the sword or whatever. Anything that we have as human beings should be um, given over to this task of loving others as Jesus has loved us. Um, that's why, because I think that the values of the kingdom of God are really important values for living my life today. And if our community had those values and also displayed them, then the chances are we'd be able to tackle real here and now problems like coward punches and alcohol abuse and so on. But, you know. Does anyone have a question for Stephen that they'd like to ask? We've got a hand up the back corner here. Being one of the people who um, listened to you with enthusiasm in 81 through your period, um, an incredible um, change to the radio that you were brought to uh, Talkback Radio. Um, any chance, any chance, even on a part-time basis, of coming back? You never say never. Please, come back. I'll take that as an encouragement. Absolutely. Yeah. If the what right would, conditions uh, ever prevailed, thank you. I think that's a question to do to direct to Georgina, actually. <laughs> that one? Is that right? No, she'd be happy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, just make it through this one and the, the future's looking rosy. Stephen, we're going to have to finish there. Thanks very much for coming and spending time with us. It's been great to listen to you, to listen to your story and, and see how much an impact Jesus has made for you. Uh, can you please thank Stephen for his time with us this morning?